Legendary Passages, Episode 103, Lucius Mestrius Plutarchus, The Life of Theseus, Section 1, The Parallel Lives. This passage begins Plutarch's comparison between the life of Theseus and the life of Romulus, founder of Rome. There are a few notable parallels, including questionable or divine parentage, strength and cunning, foundation of empires, terrible relationships, and feuds with family and countrymen. The story of Theseus began with wise Pythias, son of Pelops, and King Aegeus, descendant of Erechtheus. Aegeus went to an oracle to find out how to become a father, and then went to Pythias to understand the strange reply. After a night of wine and romance, Aegeus suspected he had gotten Pythias's daughter Aethra with child. He hid his sword and sandals under a rock for his son to retrieve when he came of age. Aethra had a son named Theseus, whose father was rumored to be the sea god Poseidon, and he was raised by his grandfather Pythias. After visiting Delphi and sacrificing some of his hair to Apollo, Aethra told Theseus to retrieve his father's tokens and set out for the city of Athens. The Parallel Lives A Legendary Passage from Bernadette Perrin Translating Lucius Mestrius Plutarchus Life of Theseus Sections 1-6 through six. Just as geographers, O Socius Sensio, crowd onto the outer edges of their maps the parts of the earth which elude their knowledge, with explanatory notes that what lies beyond is sandy desert without water and full of wild beasts, or blind marsh, or Scythian cold, or frozen sea. So in the writing of my parallel lives, now that I have traversed those periods of time which are accessible to probable reasoning, and which afford basis for a history dealing with facts, I might as well say of the earlier periods. What lies beyond is full of marvels and unreality, a land of poets and fabulous, of doubt and obscurity. But after publishing my account of Lycurgus the lawgiver and Numa the king, I thought I might not unreasonably go back still farther to Romulus, now that my history had brought me near his times. And as I asked myself, with such a warrior, as Aeschylus says, who will dare to fight? Whom shall I set against him? Who is competent? It seemed to me that I must make the founder of lovely and famous Athens the counterpart and parallel to the father of invincible and glorious Rome. May I therefore succeed in purifying fable, making her submit to reason and take on the semblance of history. But where she obstinately disdains to make herself credible and refuses to admit any element of probability, I shall pray for kindly readers and such as receive with indulgence the tales of antiquity. It seemed to me then that my resemblances made Theseus a fit parallel to Romulus, 
for both were of uncertain and obscure parentage, and got the reputation of descent from gods. Both were also warriors, as surely the whole world knoweth, and with their strength combined sagacity. Of the world's two most illustrious cities, moreover, Rome and Athens, Romulus founded the one, and Theseus made a metropolis of the other, and each resorted to the rape of women. Besides, neither escaped domestic misfortunes and the resentful anger of kindred. But even in their last days, both are said to have come into collision with their own fellow citizens, if there is any aid to the truth in what seems to have been told with the least poetic exaggeration. The lineage of Theseus, on his father's side, goes back to Erechtheus and the first children of the soil, on the mother's side to Pelops. For Pelops was the strongest of the kings in the Peloponnesus, quite as much on account of the number of his children as the amount of his wealth. He gave many daughters in marriage to men of highest rank, and scattered many sons among the cities as their rulers. One of these, named Pythias, the grandfather of Theseus, founded the little city of Trozen, and had the highest repute as a man versed in the lore of his times, and of the greatest wisdom. Now the wisdom of that day had some such form and force as that for which Hesiod was famous, especially in the sententious maxims of his works and days. One of these maxims is ascribed to Pythias, namely, Payment pledged to a man who is dear must be ample and certain. At any rate, this is what Aristotle the philosopher says, and Euripides, when he has Apollotus addressed as nursling of the pure and holy Pythias, shows what the world thought of Pythias. Now Aegeus, king of Athens, desiring to have children, is said to have received from the Pythian priestess the celebrated oracle in which she bade him to have intercourse with no woman until he came to Athens. But Aegeus thought the words of the command sounded somewhat obscure, and therefore turned aside to Trozen, and communicated to Pythias the words of the god, which ran as follows. Loose not the wineskin's jutting neck, great chief of the people, until thou shalt have come once more to the city of Athens. This dark saying Pythias apparently understood, and persuaded him, or beguiled him, to have intercourse with his daughter Aethra. Aegeus did so, and then learning that it was the daughter of Pythias with whom he had consorted, and suspecting that she was with child by him, he left a sword and a pair of sandals hidden under a great rock, which had a hollow in it just large enough to receive these objects. He told the princess alone about this, and bade her, if a son should be born to her from him, and if, when he came to man's estate, he should be able to lift up the rock and take away what had been left under it, to send that son to him with the tokens in all secrecy, and concealing his journey as much as possible from everybody. For he was mightily in fear of the sons of Pallas, 
who were plotting against him, and who despised him on account of his childlessness. And they were fifty in number, these sons of Pallas. Then he went away. When Aethra had given birth to a son, he was at once named Theseus, as some say, because the tokens for his recognition had been placed in hiding. But others say that it was afterwards at Athens when Aegeus acknowledged him as his son. He was reared by Pythias, as they say, and had an overseer and tutor named Canidus. To this man, even down to the present time, the Athenians sacrifice a ram on the day before the festival of Theseus, remembering him and honoring him with far greater justice than they honor Silanio and Parasius, who merely painted and molded the likeness of Theseus. Since it was still a custom at that time for youth who were coming of age to go to Delphi and sacrifice some of their hair to the god, Theseus went to Delphi for this purpose, and they say there was a place there which still to this day is called the Thesia from him. But he sheared only the forepart of his head, just as Homer said the Abantes did, and this kind of tonsure was called Theseus after him. Now the Abantes were the first to cut their hair in this manner, not under instructions from the Arabians, as some suppose, nor yet in emulation of the Mysians, but because they were warlike men and close fighters, who had learned beyond all other men to force their way into close quarters with their enemies. Archilochus is witness to this in the following words. Not many bows indeed will be stretched tight, nor frequent slings be whirled, when Ares joins men in the moil of war, upon the plain, but swords will do their mournful work. For this is the warfare wherein those men are expert, who lord it over Euboa, and are famous with the spear. Therefore, in order that they may not give their enemies a hold by their hair, they cut it off. And Alexander of Macedon doubtless understood this when, as they say, he ordered his generals to have the beards of their Macedonians shaved, since these afforded the readiest hold in battle. During the rest of the time, then, Aethra kept his true birth concealed from Theseus, and a report was spread abroad by Pythias that he was begotten by Poseidon. For Poseidon is highly honored by the people of Trozen, and he is the patron god of their city. To him they offer first fruits and sacrifice, and they have his trident as an emblem on their coinage. But when, in his young manhood, Theseus displayed, along with his vigor of body, prowess also, and a firm spirit united with intelligence and sagacity, then Aethra brought him to the rock, told him the truth about his birth, and bade him take away his father's tokens and go by sea to Athens. This passage continues next episode with the labors of Theseus.